Amen. Uh, one, one thing that I forgot to share um, in our announcements was that on this Friday we have the Q4 Fellowship uh, a meeting. So this, this Friday uh, at 11 a.m. It's a BYO lunch afterwards, so come for the fellowship time and then afterwards uh, have some lunch together. Um, It'll be a good time uh, together. So that's this Friday, hymn singing, so um, please come along. It's not, it's not relative to an age either. So I, that's right, isn't it, Jeanette? You can, you're allowed to come if you're whatever age you want. So please come along. 11 o'clock, that'll be great, this Friday. Uh, I want to I want to read from Numbers today uh, before we get into our scripture. So if you've got your, your Bibles, why don't you open up to uh, Numbers chapter eleven? Now we're gonna we're gonna walk walk a little bit through Numbers, um, so it's not going to be specifically just this verse. But I'll, I'll read these these few verses to you, and then we'll we'll get to it as such. But there'll be a, a bit of a journey. The Israelites at this stage are wandering and we're going to wander a little bit through the book of, of Numbers. So let's uh, turn to Numbers chapter 11. Uh, and I'm going to just read verse 18 to 20. Um, Numbers chapter 11, verse 18 to 20. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. And you will not eat it for just one day, or two days, or five, or tw- ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils. And you loathe it. <laughs> because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? It sums up a fair bit in one go, doesn't it? Sums up a fair bit in one go. Now, I didn't have a quail to bring in to show you today either. So um, no, there's no, if you are here last week, you would have seen uh, we had a, a beautiful animal on the stage. Um, so if you got worried by the snake, um, I'm terribly sorry. But um, it was a lovely, beautiful animal. I didn't think that before the service, but after the service, I thought it was a lovely animal. Um, if you missed it uh, last week, go back and watch it on YouTube. YouTube, not for the snake, not for my message, but for the baptisms. Uh, if you weren't here last week and you missed the baptisms, you missed some incredible testimonies. There were three baptisms in the, mo- baptisms in the morning, three baptisms in the evening as well. Both of them were streamed, both of them are still up on YouTube. So please go on YouTube, have a look, um, uh, just search for KSBC or you can go on our website and you can click onto the, the green banner on our website saying uh, videos and you'll find it as well. It's worth looking at worth looking at, and be encouraged by the testimonies of the people that were baptised. Really, really encouraging. And maybe it might encourage you to be baptised yourself. Um, And if you want to be baptised, or if you're thinking about it, or if you're going, I'm just not sure, come and see me after the service, or see Jeanette. We'd love to chat to you about it. That would be great. Now, have you heard the the term herding cats? Have you heard of the term herding cats? Some of you, some of you, that, that whole term of herding cats, like... Cats aren't, aren't easy to herd, are they? Well, one cat's not easy to herd, so you imagine you had a whole bunch of them um, trying to get them to go in the same... We were just talking about cats before, and they have their sort of mind of their own uh, as such. But um, we're going to look at... at uh, Moses was sort of herding this Israelite nation, and, and maybe a little bit it was like herding cats, and maybe a little bit like this video that we're going to see now. This man right here is my great-grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. Herding cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. 
anybody can herd cattle. Holding together 10,000 half wild short hairs, well, that's another thing altogether. Being a cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning right here. And if you look at his face, it's it just ripped to shreds, you know? You see the movies, you hear the stories, it's, I'm living a dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. It ain't an easy job, but when you bring a herd into town and you ain't lost a one of them, ain't a feeling like it in the world. EDS, managing the complexities of the digital economy. Don't know what EDS is, but I thought that was a wonderful <laughs> illustration. Cat herders trying to get things together. Um, it's a tough gig, but they love it. <laughs> so this morning we're going to we're going to wander as the 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 Israelite nation are herded or a journeying towards the land that had been promised to them 650 years earlier um, to Abraham, and then we're going to watch as they end up straight back in the desert again because of their lack of faith, really. Um, because unfortunately for them, they forgot this one timeless pearl of wisdom that I hope we can grasp today, that we must keep our eyes on the promise and not on the problems. Keep our eyes on the promise, not on the problems. Let's pray. Our God, may you help us to understand your word this morning. May you help us to be able to take it and mold it into our lives that we can be people of the promise. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, halfway through a year is a good time to have a checkup on our, any goals that you might have set for the year. At the start of the year, we call them New Year's resolutions. They generally last two weeks. But you might have a, a goal-setting technique. Does anyone set goal, yearly goals at all? No? no? Okay. Well, okay, well, we'll put that back in the queue and um, start afresh. <laughs> if you would have set some goals at the start of this year, at the halfway point of the year, it's always nice to have a look back on them. And, and I've sort of given up on the whole New Year's resolution sort of thing um, for two reasons. I figure, why wait until the start of a year to make a, a, a new resolution? Why, why not just do it all the time? Why don't we have a rolling sort of set of goals? And... Um, and they're normally around fitness and giving up chocolate, and that just doesn't hasn't seemed to work for me ever. Um, so, so, and the second reason is um, I don't think a, a New Year's resolution ever goes past about two weeks. I don't know anyone that's really done it that well. So, so why do that? But anyway, a New Year's resolution is really just a promise that you're making to yourself, isn't it? It's a promise that you're making to yourself. And if that promise is broken, well, there, there really isn't a heap of consequence, is there? If you, if you break a, a New Year's resolution, there's not that much of a promise, uh, a, prob a problem. Um, if I made a promise, a, a New Year's resolution at the start of the year, to read three books a month for the whole of the year, that's an all right sort of goal. But if I don't make it, what's the consequence? Oh, I don't read three books a month, like I'd hoped. Um, but if I, if I promise to take my family to the snow this week, and I say to them, next Sunday, or next Saturday, we're going to the snow, I won't go on Sunday, because I'll be here, obviously, next Saturday, I'll go to, we'll go to the snow, and I tell them, then I've made a commitment to that, that is accountable, isn't it? It's accountable to my kids, because I'm sure that all week, my kids will be going, we're going to the snow still, we're going to the snow, oh, I can't wait to get to the snow, and if I break that promise, there's a very much a fallout from my family, 
because all they'd want to be doing is get down there and build those snowballs and throw it straight in my face. That's what they would love to be doing. So uh, as I sort of thought about promises and I thought about accountability, um, I, I asked the question, why is it sometimes that our promises don't quite get there or we don't get these promises realised? And I thought it's because in the midst of working towards a promise, a problem comes up. We have a promise, but there's a problem that hits in the middle somewhere. It might be a logical problem, like the car is broken and I can't get to the snow. Or it might be more a mental problem of it's way too cold and we didn't buy gloves for the snow. So my biggest problem with the the promise this year that I might sort of do something like running is my biggest problem is really the door. I just can't get past the door. That would be my biggest problem. But in reality, a promise to go running each week, twice a week, whatever it might be, for me, is actually a mental problem. It's a mental thing. To achieve what I would like to do, I need to keep my eyes on the end prize, which is really fitness, isn't it? Rather than seeing the problem. It's too cold or it's too hard or I don't like running or anything like that. So the problem gets in the way of the promise and reaching the final space. Now, the Israelites... They had this problem. They had this problem. They had exited out of Egypt and they'd seen God destroy the armies of the Egyptians in the waters of the Red Sea and they were now on their own. They were walking wherever God would lead them. Pillar of cloud during day, pillar of fire at night. And a few weeks ago we sort of looked that God was down in them, down with them, their presence was down with them. And God spoke to Moses and showed him the way to go to get to this promised land that had been promised to them. A a land flowing with milk and honey. You know, milk and honey together, scientists have proved that a drink of milk and honey before bed helps you sleep better. Did you know that? I didn't even know you could put milk and honey together and stir it and make a nice drink. I've never done that before. might try that tonight. But it helps you sleep better. Maybe God knew that already for the Israelites because they're going to get a lot of walking. They need milk and honey. I don't know. But, but they, were, they were going into this great land. So Moses, he, he gets, them, gets them ready, sounds trumpets, gets them to leave, and he, the herding of the cats starts to begin. Let's go. And like January 1, the promises are made, the, their eyes are on the promise. We're going towards this promised land. I can do this. I can see what's ahead, the milk and the honey. I can almost taste it in my mouth already. And there's this expectation as the nation heads off towards this space. They start moving. They know it might be tough, but they start moving. We're heading towards the promised land. In the first few weeks, you think, yes, we're there. The chat is up, up and about. This is going to be great. God's looking out for us. The tabernacle's packed up. The tents are down. The tribes are off, and they're ready to go. And even though there's a long journey ahead, we can see the end inside. It's exciting. If you've ever been on a long car trip, you'll know that the starting point's the exciting part because you pack all the chocolates and the lollies, you pack your drinks, you've got your iced coffee sitting there, you're set to go and and you take off and it's exciting. The first 15-20 minutes, well once you get out of the city, you're going, this is fantastic. But it's when you get to hour two and a half and the eyes are starting to droop because the sun's beating in, the road's only straight and you go, gee whiz, it's a I wish I had another iced coffee. I've already been through three, but it's just not working. It doesn't take long for you to lose sight of the final destination, does it? It doesn't take long for you to get 
to seeing the problem that is right in front of us. And if you've got kids on those journeys, you'll know that that only takes 15 minutes. Are we there yet? The problems start and our eyes move from the promise to the problem. And time after time, these wandering Israelites took their eyes off God's promise, which was to get to this wonderful land, to, to be inhabitants of this wonder, wonderful land, and they only saw the problems that were in front of it. And it happens time after time. And read through Numbers and you'll see it. Numbers 10 describes their departure. In Numbers 10.33 it says this. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord, three days' journey with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord going before them, three days' journey. From then, three days, three days into their wandering towards God's promised space. And we hear this from the nation. Numbers 11.4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. This is only three days in. The rabble, I love that word, the rabble with them, began to crave other food. And the Israelites started wailing, said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Three days into their journey, it was only a short time. It was going to be a long journey and with up to a million people having to sort of move along and herd through with all the toilet stops that that would take, imagine that. (laughs) They've already started to see the problems rather than the promise. And in the reading that I read as well, it sort of starts to explain God's response in it. So, so Moses goes to God and pleads with God to do something about it. And Moses was at the end of his tether also with these people. And he says to God, where will I find enough meat to feed these people and make them happy? And God responds with the following. And I wonder how Moses was feeling after this encounter with God. And this is what we read this morning. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Hooray! The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? You sort of get the feeling that God wasn't overly happy with his people, that God wasn't real impressed with their grumbling. So if you read the rest of that chapter, God sent this great wind. And in verse 31, all this quail came in and fell and died beside the camp. And for about a day's journey, you could walk a whole day, there was quail just lying three foot deep, sort of, sort of almost waist height deep in quail. So many little birds, so much meat to eat. And everyone gathered up. They gathered up about one and a half ton of quail each. That's a lot of birds. And the people ate the quail. But Scripture says that while it was still stuck in their teeth, before it was consumed, the Lord struck the nation with a great plague. And the, other Israelites, and the Israelites buried those who were craving other food. It's like the dad who found his teenage son smoking and decided to teach him a lesson and said, all right, son, if you're going to smoke, you're going to smoke all the cigarettes in the pack right now. And the son got to about the third cigarette and said, I'm never going to do this again. The quail saga sort of seemed pretty severe. But when you take your eyes off the promise and look at the problem, there's going to be consequences. 
So you'd think that after such severe consequence of taking their eyes off the promise, that surely they'd then walk headfirst into the promised land, regardless of any other problems that may arise on the journey. Surely they've seen that when they take their eyes off the promise and uh, off the promise and only look at the problem, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be quail that's no good for you, and it's going to cause all sorts of problems. But of course, the quail was only the precursor to the big one. If that didn't teach the nation to keep their eyes off the promise, uh, on the promise and on the problem, the next one was going to, surely. So they arrive finally near this promised land. They're wandering through the, the, the desert. They arrive at the promised land. They set up camp in the wilderness of Paran, and God says to Moses to send 12 men out to spy out the land that he was going to give them. We know this, if, you know, if you don't know the story, it's worth reading, but we know the story. Um, so they take uh, one from each tribe, and they send them out. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 13. Moses gathers the 12 together and gave them the pep talk that they needed. This is Numbers 13, 17. Go up through the Nevergand on on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Uh, Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit from the land. Go and get them. Go have a look. So 40 days they go out and they go into this promised land. They were checking it out. They were seeing what sort of food's there. They were eating the food that's there. They were meeting the people. They were mingling in the city, checking out the threats and barriers. They were scoping the place out. And so that God's people were prepared the best that they could to enter in to this land that was being promised to them. And they returned, and they gave the following report. Well, we went to the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are very powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites, they live near the sea and along the Jordan. You can read that in Numbers 13. They brought back from the promised land uh, a bunch of grapes that verse 23 says took two men to carry. That's a big bunch of grapes. You can see a big bunch of grapes up there. Imagine a bunch of grapes that big, so two men have to carry it. That's enough to go, well, let's get in there. Those grapes look incredible. It was a place that was ripe and fruitful, but it was also a place with big and powerful people. It was well fortified. Now, Caleb must have remembered the quail incident. He says, well, let's, let's go up to the country, go up once and occupy it, for we'll be able to overcome it. We remember the promise, not the problem. Caleb had his eyes focused on the promise. The problem was going to be never too big for the one who made the promise. He's saying, let's go. Let's not have another quail incident. Yet 10 others, um, the rest apart from Joshua, Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. They only saw the others, the other 10. They said, we're not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we are. And news spread around the camp. The whispers kept growing. These people are big. These people are strong. The grapes, they might run out. And they forgot that God was in charge that the strength of the Lord was going to be greater than the strength of the people. They started looking at the problem and not the promise. 
And so in Numbers 14, the people complained against Moses and Aaron. Why didn't we just die in Egypt? Why didn't we just die here? It's going to be better than if we go over there and get killed. Why make us do this? And then they say one thing that I think probably made God the most angry. They said in Numbers 14.3, Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Back to Egypt, where God rescued them from because they were crying out to be set free. If we don't think God's a patient God, read through Numbers. <laughs> the amount of times that people took their eyes off the promise and looked at uh, the problem is immense. And so when Moses, Aaron and Caleb and Joshua pleaded with them to remember the promise of God, Numbers 14.10 tells us, but the whole congregation threatened to stone them. They've, they've gotten so far past looking at the promise. These were people who released them. These were the people that were released from 400 years of slavery through the plagues, through the, 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 the sea on dry land. God let them through all this. God came down and was with them in the tabernacle, the tent of God's presence. God was speaking to Moses continually and giving them the way forward. But the problem still seemed too big. And so they threatened to stone the leaders. And we read this and we think, they cannot see, can they not see that God has a greater plan? Can't we see that? Well, we can see it. Because God's got this, this greater story being cast here. And, and the key actors are, are, are right there in front of them. But when they come down to the, the human level, the perspective that we see, the giants in the land were bigger than the God who delivered them to be in that place. The problem stayed at eye level and they never looked beyond. One commentator says of the Israelites, it was one thing to get the Hebrews out of Egypt, quite another thing to get the Egypt out of the Hebrews. You see, the consequence of only looking at the problems that is in the past is that you never see what might be ahead. What we know of the past, our memories of it, how it is, how it, how it was, it's important. We learn from our past, but it can actually hinder our way forward if we keep looking back. Consider these Israelites. They were looking at possibly the only positive that was in slavery, the food. They had some food. They were given some food. But every day they were making bricks. Every day they were getting whipped. Every day they were being slaves. They had no freedom. If they had gone back, what was it going to look like for them? They weren't remembering the promises of God. They were remembering, no, just the immediates. And you hear this in churches everywhere, don't you? We hear, we, we hear this everywhere. It's not like it was 20 years ago. It's not like we did it back then. That's okay to look back and say yes, but it stops us from looking forward as well at the promises that are ahead. You know what? We can learn from our past that we may walk into our future. I believe that seeing beyond the problem is always going to take a step of faith, though. Seeing beyond the problem is going to mean heading into spaces where there are big people that might attack us. 
The people in that land were big. They were scary. They had good fortification structures. They're big problems. They're not small little problems that can be overcome. Yet the Israelites, they had proof of the promise. They had this whopping great big bunch of grapes in front of them. God had said, this land is going to be fruitful. Come, bring the fruit back. Show us. God's promise of this wonderful land wasn't lost to their eyes. But you can imagine God's reaction when they're saying, we should go back. It's right there in Numbers 4.11. How long will these people despise me? It's pretty strong, isn't it? And how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've done amongst them? God makes plans to get, get rid of them and start afresh with Moses. And Moses pleads on their behalf, no God. And God relents to their, their issues of what they see, looking at the problem rather than the promise. And the land will still be theirs, but there's one caveat. One thing that's going to happen. None of the people who have seen my glory and the signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness and yet have tested me these ten times and have not obeyed me, shall see the land that I swore to give to their ancestors. None of those who despise me shall see it. That's a consequence. And God goes on to say that anyone 20 years or older will make it into the promised land. No one except for Caleb and Joshua, not even Moses or Aaron. What a consequence. When you take your eyes off the promise and see only the problem, there is consequence. God doesn't stop short on his promise. God still says, we'll get you there. You'll get into the land that has been promised. You're not going to just go back to Egypt. That's going to be bad. The land's still there for them. But now he realigns his promise for those who seek to move into it. You sort of could read that and you go, well, that's really unfair. I mean, they're just humans. We're humans. We know we mess up. We take our eyes off God all the time. You think maybe it's a bit heavy-handed by God. That's our perspective. But if we look at God, the shaping of his people, God's forming a people to be different to every other nation. God is forming a people who have only one God, not many gods, whom they're to be devoted to that one God. God is forming a people to treat each other with dignity and respect. God is trying to mould a nation that would reflect his character. Why? So that they may show that to everyone else, that Yahweh, God, is the one true God. Yet this Israelite nation could only do that if they put their full trust in that one God. And by seeing the problem, by grumbling, by looking back, all they could do was saying, we don't actually fully trust you, God. We don't really trust in your promise. They balked when the giants just looked too big. So they took their eyes off the promise and saw the problems. And perhaps for you this morning, you can relate to that. You can relate to this nation from our human perspectives, things can sometimes seem overwhelming. Our expectations and fears might hinder us from moving towards the promise God has specifically for you. Joshua was given this encouragement before he headed into the land. He said, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. 
He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. We hear it in Scripture. But I know when you're facing unemployment or you're worried where the next meal might come from or you're worried that the bills are piling up and the interest rates keep on rising or you're worried about the path that your children are taking or you're worried about the test results that are due to come back. It's hard. It is really hard. And rather than keeping your eyes on the promise of God, you start looking at these problems that we are facing, very real problems. The land of milk and honey, massive bunches of grapes, would have been theirs if they had walked in God's promise. God's promises means that God will provide a way. It might be tough. God never said it's going to be easy. But when we keep our eyes on the promise, God stays with us. And God says to us, keep your eyes on the promise, not on the problem. I'm going to take care of your problem. I'm going to be there with the problem. I'm going to provide a friend to journey with you through the problems. That's what I do. But trust me. Trust me. So the Israelites have to accept their consequence. For 40 years, they wander in the desert, waiting for the final few of the previous generation to die. Can you imagine if you were the last one? <laughs> Can you imagine if you were that last one and everyone's, every day they wake up and they just look at you? Can you just die already? <laughs> Can you imagine? And Moses gets the end of his life also in a life that's seen the ups and downs in so many ways. Starting out, flowing down a river, he should have been dead. He didn't deserve, it wasn't in that time, it was just God's providence that he lived. Coming back, he killed an Egyptian, he went running, he comes back and tells the most powerful person on the earth that you have to let my people go. He leads the people through the Red Sea, takes them on this journey into the desert, but never sees the promise. He gets so close and all he sees is the people had rejected God again and again. And so Moses gets to the end of his life and he offers the people his perspective and wisdom. And it sounds a lot like, keep your eyes on the promise of God. Don't look at the problems. And it says it in Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20, it says this. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you, may, you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Choose God. Choose life. Keep your eye on God. Keep your eye on his promises. Trust that he's good. Obey God. Not because he wants to control you, but that God has something great in store for you. Now, you may or may not know, I... Uh, I had a birthday through the week. I turned 46, and I, I, I know I, don't, I, look, I probably look a lot older than that, actually, but anyway, I was going to say, I look so much younger, but I don't think that's true. Um, <laughs> I had a great day, but I came to the realisation, and this was a scary realisation, that I'm now closer to 60 than I am to 30. Ugh. Yep, yep. So as I reflected and had a little sick feeling at that thought, I started thinking about the choice that I made to keep my eyes on the promise of God in my early 20s, so 25 years ago. And I moved into ministry. Rather than having uh, a job that got me lots of money and did that whole thing, 
A promise that God gave me as a, as a young, uh, early 20s person was found in Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. It says this, Be careful then how you live, not as, wise, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. I, I read that through a prayer meeting. And at that stage of life, I was questioning God, what do you want me to do? And I felt God saying to me, you need to do more than wake up in the morning, go to work, come home, sleep. Wake up morning, go to work, earn money, come home and sleep. You need to make a life, a difference in the life of people. And so that was it. So Larry and I went. We went and studied. We cut our income down, both of our incomes down, um, made us conscious of what we were eating and the blessings that we got every day. We were just grateful for a roof over our heads at that stage. And God gave us some of the richest years of our lives. We totally, unswervingly trusted in God because we had no other choice. <laughs> we had to keep our eyes on the promise that God had given us. Otherwise, we may have come unstuck. We didn't consider the problems that were in front of us. It's led us to ministry all over the world, actually. We've been to England and back and all over the place. It's brought us some really tough times even. It's given us reward and joy. It's shed us a few tears, but it's brought us to Kilsai South Baptist Church. And we thank God for the journey that we've been on. And just this week, as I thought through all that, as I reminisced about the fact there were times where we could have chosen not to head off into England and do ministry over there. There were times where we would have been better to stay in our jobs and get nice shiny cars and a big house and set up life for our kids. There were times where we could have done all of that. But we realise now that God had a greater plan. Just as God had a greater plan for that Israelite nation, only they didn't see it. They only saw the problem. So I wonder if you are following the promises of God for your life. Whether you've had, like I did, this direct sort of promise that God had given me, whether there's a scripture that's come to you or whether there's a word that someone said to you, I wonder if you're following it. Or had the problems hit and the problems got in the way and you've sort of lost track of that promise. My encouragement to you is to press deeper into the promises of God. Press deeper into Scripture. Press deeper into what God is doing in and through you. Because God has a plan for your life. Are you willing to see the promise beyond the problem? And God's got a promise for this church as well, for the life of his church. You know, as a, as a church, we're in a space of exploring what God is asking of us, aren't we? If you've not been around the church for long and you have sort of haven't heard, we're, we're asking the question of what would it be like for us to take on a campus uh, of Kilsai South with Upway Baptist um, Church? It's a massive undertaking. It is. We're doing okay as a church. We've come back from COVID. We've got two services every week now. Um, our services are reasonably healthy we're seeing baptisms. We're not perfect as a church, for sure. No churches are. We've got evangelism happening. We've got good things going on. We've got our playgroups are flourishing. They're good things. You know, our offerings, they're down a little bit. They're down a bit. It's still a struggle for getting, reaching our budgets. It's not easy to get volunteers into all our ministries. We'd love to do more ministries, but it's not easy to get volunteers. But we're believing God's still doing something good for KSBC. We're doing okay. There is life, and in many ways we see growth. But we need to keep pressing into what God's promise is for us. So as we explore this, this campus idea, 
it's a big thing for us. It's a big thing for the church to take on another, I suppose, another ministry, Upway Baptist Church. It's exciting, but it's also daunting. The opportunities are great, but at a human level, there's risk involved as well. I suppose the big question we're looking to discern together is that the question that is posed to the Israelite nation. Is this the promise of God for us? And if it is, regardless of the problems that could arise, are we able to press in towards it? What's it going to take for us? Well, think about those 12 spies. It took faith to see beyond the giants, faith to see beyond what might be in front. For the nation, it took them to see beyond what they had back in Egypt and see what was in front of them. And so for us at KSBC, we need to remember what God has done in the past 34 years, but also faithfully step into the future that God has in store for us. We need to keep praying. We need to be stepping out in God's promises. And that starts by stepping into the promises of God that we find in Scripture now. Where are we going to be in 10, 15, 20 years' time? God knows. God's got this church in his hands. It's God's church to build. It's not Pete's. It's not yours. It's not anyone's. It's God's church. And when we step into these promises of God, we're going to see God do a good thing. So I want to wrap up today, and I want to pray some of these promises that I found in, I found in Scripture over you and over us, and maybe it's for our church as well. So as you listen, perhaps you'll hear one of these scriptures resonate with you. I want you to, if you've got a piece of paper, if you're listening, just jot one of these verses down that might resonate with you or you might have something that's been resonating in your mind and heart today. And when you get home, just write it out or type it out on a computer, print it out and put it up on your fridge or on your bedside table or somewhere where you're going to see it, back of your toilet door, wherever it might be, that you're going to see it. And remember God's promise to you. Let's as a church be moving forward into the promises of God, taking our eyes off the problems that present themselves and move into those promises, both as a church but also as individuals. So let me pray some of these promises over you. So you might want to just sit with your eyes closed and just have a sense of uh, deep breath, just ready yourself to hear from God now. Let's pray. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Proverbs 26:13 says, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 1 John 4:4 4, 4, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. James 4.7 says, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
1 Corinthians 10.19 says, No temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can be be that you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you may endure it. So God, there are so many promises in your scripture. We've only just touched on a few. But may we hold on to your promises today. May we be encouraged by the promises that we see in Scripture, the words that you give to us. And may we walk towards them, regardless of the problems that lie in front of us. God, we give our lives to you. We give your church to you. Build us up for your kingdom glory. In Jesus' name, amen.